0: You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk.
1: Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 103 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is, we're just going to say, on assignment. So today we're coming to you from the historic Rogers Memorial Library in beautiful Southampton, New York. The Library Pros podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at, at the library pros. coming soon to Instagram and Threads, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash the library pros. So today joining us is a group of librarians we consider pretty special. Lily Keel is from the Kutchov New Suffolk Free Library. Anthony Giansante is from the John Germain Memorial Library in Sag Harbor. And Steve Alcalde is from the Rogers Memorial Library here in Southampton. So our group is going to talk about working with technology in smaller association libraries in New York, the challenges it presents both economically and geographically, and the origins and development of the East End Tech Committee and how it gives voice to the East End Libraries. But first, let's learn about our guests. So, I'm excited to be here to speak with you guys, because I've known Anthony going way back, and Steve I've known for at least five years, and Lily and I met Mm pre-pandemic. So, tell us about your paths to librarianship, and Anthony, we'll start with you. All
0: right, well, uh, I started as an avid library user, and then when I was in my undergrad, I needed a way to pay my way through school, so I became a clerk at... Longwood Public Library, where I stayed there for a handful of years and then went to library school. That's actually where I met your host, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the host. <laughs> and now I am head of emerging technologies at the John Jermaine Memorial Library. Okay, Lily.
2: Um, growing up, I was an avid library user. We were always at the Riverhead Library growing up, um, or Mattatuck because that's where I was with my grandma. Um, and I never thought I could be a librarian actually. I thought it was some sort of like magical position that was bestowed upon you. Um, but then I got into college and I realized that a writing degree was not going to pay the bills and that, um, (laughs) being a librarian was possible. So I got an internship at my college's library and kind of took off from there. So I was inspired.
1: (laughs) Okay, Steve, you're up.
3: Uh, same. I was a big library user growing up. I actually used to go to Sachem. That was the uh, my uh, my home library, and I spent a lot of time there. Um, I This is actually my third career. I started a little bit later. Uh, I was a broker for a while, and then I taught English in secondary school for a while, uh, and the Then in 2014, I started working at the Hampton Bays Library. I worked in Middle Country, and now I've been here at Rogers for almost 10 years at this point, and just recently became the head of the technology department. Wow, 10 years, huh? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of mileage. Yeah, it is.
1: (laughs) So for our listeners who are not from Long Island, what's really cool is um, we're going to talk about association libraries, and in New York- you can be a municipal library, which is tied to a town, village, city, etc. Or a school district library, which is basically means you have a building that the library owns, but it's built on school district land. Or an association library. Can the three of you explain what sets association libraries apart from the municipal, if I could speak, and the school district libraries?
2: It's interesting. I mean, it's. I think... One of the biggest things about that is being, um, we're missing a certain population because Matatuck is right by the school. They're within walking distance. So we have like a big gap. We have very small children, um, you know, that range from like, you know, babies and that come to all of our programs with their parents or grandparents up to like maybe fifth or fourth grade, and then it jumps all the way fifty five and over. So it's interesting. I think you you kind of miss a gap when you work in a library that's especially far from the school district and the schools in general. So, um, yeah. So how does it?
1: So in terms of a school district library, we collect our revenue from property tax. So mm-hmm. we follow the same borders as the school district. And that's how we derive our um, our financing. How does it happen in an association library?
2: Um, well, we we do collect from the school district. Um, we get a part of the taxes from the you know town people. Um, but other than that, it's a lot of fundraising, um, especially with the friends. But um, it's it's an uphill battle. We definitely try to do things um, that you know, book sales, we've done jewelry sales, we've done all different types of events to try to raise money. But it's hard um, because we also live in an area that's definitely a tourist town. So we have to do during the summer, which is our busiest time. Um, Because after like, pumpkin picking season it's dead <laughs> um all goes silent so it's we got to cram it in the summer it's it's but it's hard to find ideas that are different that bring people in to raise money so yeah out
3: yeah. here out here we we refer to it as tumbleweed tuesday <laughs> which <laughs> the tuesday after uh memorial day yeah that's okay. when um a lot of the city people are far the snowbirds kind of um Dissipate, and we're left to our locals. They
2: return to their homes. So. <laughs> right.
0: Steve and I live up Island, and that's when our commute goes gets cut in half.
1: Yes, in terms of travel time, hour and
3: a half to about forty minutes. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you know, I'm glad that you brought up the term up Island because that rolls right into our next question. Can you briefly explain for those listeners who don't understand the term East End and up Islanders what the the difference in the population and what those terms actually mean?
2: Oh God. So, <laughs>
1: When we formed the EETC, we had this conversation.
0: This was like a very long yeah. yes. Google Meet video call that lasted maybe two hours where we decided that basically Riverhead Library and Eastward
1: was what we categorized as the East End, right? So the, five, both
2: forks? The, the, yeah. the five
1: eastern towns. Versus yeah. the, there's ten towns in Suffolk County and the five western towns are considered up island. The five eastern towns are considered East End. Yes. Right. With Riverhead being that dividing line.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's that's kind of the conversation we had. We basically figured out that Riverhead was definitely our, uh, you know, the flag that we started the East End with. I'm sure that most Long Islanders probably agree with that assumption. Mm. So... Yeah, we were confident in that because yeah.
2: once you hit Riverhead and you go more east, it everything starts to dissipate. Like, it civilization becomes less um, big. Like, you you hit wineries and country land. Yes. It's, it's different. It's the look of it is entirely different. Um, you know, the people you literally know everybody. Like, you pass a house or someone, you're like, oh, I know that that person is. Like, you know, that family lives there. Um, it's. The vibe, for I hate to use that word, but it's true, is totally different from when you go past Red. Like you get on the LIE, that's it. Look, like, you're you're out of the East End. So, um, also too, I think it's it's a one horse town. Your your business on the East End is known by everybody. Like you know, if you know a lot of people, it's they're gonna know what's going on. So, it's 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 very different.
3: It's also where a bulk of the association libraries are. Yeah, the exception of uh, Port Jeff and.
1: Emma, Emma and Emma, South Emma. Country. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, from that point, from Riverhead eastward is where most of the uh, association libraries are. Right. And
1: Brookhaven, I think, is an association. Yes, too, right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I also feel like Long Island accents get stronger once you people reach past Riverhead. <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> definitely.
1: And does anybody ever talk about Fish's Island?
2: <laughs> no, actually. None. I
0: mean, I've heard they're only open like 10 hours a week or something like that. And uh, in order to get there, you have to go into Connecticut and then take a ferry from Connecticut to, to yeah, Fisher's Island.
2: I like one small library on maybe like the North Road where it's run by like one lady. Dating
0: like, hollows. Yes. Yeah. Yes, dating hollow, yeah, yes. Yes. yeah. It's
2: like one lady in this tiny hut, like this hut-like building.
1: <laughs> Bobby Bobby. Yeah. In many respects, the East End libraries have more in common with the libraries yes, of state in rural, rural upstate, than they do with their cousins that are on the West End of the yeah, island. Enders, yeah. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is funny too, because I, um, I, I was born in Queens. I was raised in Ronkonkoma. I still live in Middle Island. I'm still I'm I'm up island as you might say but over the past few years that phrase has entered my vernacular like i always kind of promised myself like when i became a parent i always said i would never say because i've said so but now I do. And uh, as uh, I, I try, and I, I promised myself I would never say up island. And now I say it constantly. Yes.
0: Yeah. I remember that I told myself that I would always say like Eastern Suffol- Suffolk and Western Suffolk. And then I remember just speaking to a patron and I just
1: said it up yeah. island, you know? Yeah. Well, and I was like, what? No, no, yeah, I'm well, finally, I finally get it. You can't
2: it. say out west. I mean, that doesn't, sure. be, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense <laughs>
1: either. So. And, you know, just as an aside, since you are an East Ender, Mm-hmm. How do you feel about all these interlopers that have come and work in an East library? I hate it. So. <laughs> I hate it. I'm just
2: kidding. Um, it, it, uh, it provides a different perspective um, because I think you see where how you, where you are living and how your libraries or whatever your communities are like, and then when you work in a smaller community. Um, and your eyes open to kind of how the everyday is, you know, when, when people come in and they kind of, they talk to you as if they've known you your whole life, you know, you build these relationships because everything is so small and close knit and tight. And, um, you know, you, you've grown up with pretty much everybody. Like, you know, I work with someone that we call her the mayor of Kutchog, like everybody that walks in, she knows who they are because she's been there for so long. She grew up here. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see kind of like the That they, you know, they come in and they're like, oh my gosh, like everybody knows everybody. And, you know, it's, it's different. Um, I love it though, because I think it adds a bit of, um, you know, different personality, different perspective. Um, you know, but being an East Ender and working on the East End, it's it's nice because I'm only ten minutes from my library that I work at, so that's also a plus.
1: But it's not too bad. I
2: feel bad for you guys commute. You know that does suck,
1: <laughs> especially in the summertime.
2: Yes, yes, or pumpkin picking season.
1: It's
0: almost like a double edged sword though. Like when you work in the district that you live in or in the community that you live in. Um, you can't You go to the supermarket and they see you. like It's almost like you are out in the wild. Quick story.
2: I went out to the supermarket with my mom and I saw a patron you know, I'm not going to say a name because my director is probably going to listen to this, um, but she might know who I'm talking about, Um, is that (laughs) I saw him coming out of the Verizon store and I had to duck because if I saw him, he would start asking for a tech appointment and I was like, mom, i got to get back in the car because I was like, I can't have (laughs) him see me because he will start talking and we will start making arrangements for a tech appointment. So, you know, um, but also So, too, talking about the double-edged sword is you grow up in the neighborhood, you grow up in the community, you see what needs to be improved. Mm -hmm. So you're a voice for the improvements that need to be made. Um, And, like, I remember having a conversation about makerspaces um, with my director and another coworker of mine. And the biggest point of having that was for the kids who don't want to be a part of what the school is offering and giving them an alternative, like doing programs in a space that offers, um, 3D printing or crafting or things like that for the kids who aren't into sports. Cause I went to school and I wasn't a sports person. I mean, I, that's not, wasn't my niche. So, um, you can kind of be that voice of reason too, which is, which is nice. So.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense because out here there aren't that many options for the kids. So no. it's either after-school sports or the library. Yes.
2: Yeah. 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 And getting into a deeper, darker part of it, that's why a lot of the kids from my school district would turn to things like drugs or run a lot of things to do out there. You mm-hmm. know, in the wintertime, there's nothing. So, you know, being that that beacon of light is, is a nice um, a nice thing to be a part of. So,
1: That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and just as a point of reference, too, um, being a child of the 80s, what we do, we went to the mall. Yes, right? yeah. there's no mall, and honestly, there's no big box store, no. No. uh, corporate like you know, like large supermarkets or anything like that. It is very, very rural, and, yeah. and the fact that as you go either on the North Fork or the South Fork. It the actual landmass becomes narrower. Yes. Mm, yes. Yeah. So you know, I think on a North Fork what it's maybe five miles wide.
2: Yeah. If and that. there's two main roads, which is Main Road and Sound Avenue. That's yeah. that's the only way to get in and out. So right. wow. um yeah. I mean, you know, we've had the same McDonald's for about thirty-five years, they won't add a drive through on. Like I mean, it's like that they're very set in their ways. It's very small, they don't want to make it big. Um, so yeah, it's it the landmass does get smaller. It starts to get narrower as you go. Down
1: so, and the same thing happens on the South Fork yes. except for that yeah. one big hump where Sack Harbor is, yeah. Um, and then you head out to Southampton, Bridgehampton, yep. East Hampton, Amagansett, and then Amatok.
3: and again, two major roads, and that's it. Yep. If one of those roads gets shut down for whatever reason, <laughs> you're stuck out there for hours.
0: Something yeah. that I've also noticed is that, like, the ecology and geography of the areas really defines the districts here, out here, like. Mm. Uh, you have to drive through over a canal to get to yes. where we are right now. Or I drive through the woods for basically 20 minutes to get to the area that I'm serving. Uh, so it, it almost forms like this natural barrier uh, that is a strict divide. Like I know that I'm driving into Southampton when I drive over this canal. Okay. You know? mm-hmm. yeah, um, Or I know that I'm almost in Sag Harbor when I'm 10 minutes into the woods.
2: Yes. And once I, oh, okay, sorry, i no, no, i no, no, say please. once I reach LIE, I get very lost because I'm very picture esque with it when it comes to directions because I'm so used to seeing the same landmarks yeah. in my community. Yeah. So once I get to like LIE, I'm like I don't even know where anything is because there's so much. So yeah, you get used to kind of noticing those points. So yeah. and
3: again, get, and that's Riverhead being like the last. Yeah. Beacon of civil,
0: uh, uh yeah. civilization. of, like, East <laughs> so End Route 58. Yes. Yeah. But
1: yeah. before Route 58 developed, the last place was probably Shirley. Mm. Probably, yeah. Yeah, William Floyd Parkway. 100%. So, 100%. so. I'm William sorry we're going so local for everybody, but... Um, You know, just get out a map and take a look around. Um, But yeah, Route 58 only blossomed 15 years ago, right? And now it's a whole strip of all big box stores and corporate stores.
3: And that's the end of it too. And that's the end. Once you get to that, then it's farmlands, it's wine. Yeah. Well, when when you get out to
2: the ferry, the cross um, island ferry, like to get to uh, Connecticut, I always ha- say the same thing. Imagine having to go to like Walmart when you live all the way out here. That's mm-hmm. like forty minutes. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. it stinks. It's not fun. I mean, because if you want to pay seven bucks for a box of cereal, then go to the market. But I mean, if you want, you know, oh that's just a local thing, but, <laughs> <laughs> but
1: that's the flavor.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: that the exactly. it's so. a world. And that's why I say it's more like the Adirondacks or Western New York mm-hmm. than it is like Pop yeah, yep, or or Holbrook or you know Medford or something like that. Mm-hmm. And to add to Lily's point, I think
0: there's only like one, maybe two major supermarkets that I've noticed on the South Shore, and that's a Stop and Shop and a King Cullen. And I don't even think there are King Cullens out of Long Island. I've never seen one at least. No, it no? started
3: in Long Island.
1: Started on yeah. Long Island, yeah. And they've been slowly closing. Yeah, because yep. Stop and Shop has been imported from New England, and they're just kind of murdering everybody, right? So I mean, th- th- there
0: you go. Though, like that, only lessens the uh, amount of. Um, competition and auctions that people out here have yeah but uh if you're looking to go to the market most of the time locals have to either drive along long way or pay exorbitant prices at the local market which is always something that living up island and i'm paying like seven dollars for uh i don't know a bottle of water i just get like very angry when i'm to <laughs> have to do that but then when i go up island and i'm paying 350 for the same bottle i'm like oh, all right that's fine yeah, and, you yeah. know it comes out in the wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. may have to do runs for people yeah right <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: ship us out some okay. of your groceries <laughs> i'll charge you a
1: premium but not yeah. as much as the market yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so we're gonna take a short break when we come back we're gonna chat with our group about the benefits and challenges of working out east and the east End tech committee so we will be right back Okay, we are back with Lily Keel, Anthony G. and Steve Alcalde. So let's talk about the benefits of working out on the East End. Just like we were just saying how hard it is, right? So just like any library, each library has its own set of advantages and challenges. So tell us about what is special about working in the smaller towns of Long Island. Lily, you probably have to kick off on this, being an East Ender.
2: Um, So I think... most special thing about it is, like I said, is knowing everybody. You build these relationships with everybody because you see them all the time or you've known them your whole life. Um, and it just makes it so much more special, Um, you know, because you're, you know, you're helping someone that, you know, you've, you've known a long time or you went to school with, or, you know, somebody pops in, and you're like, oh my God, I haven't seen you since I was like five years old. Um, So that's one of the most special parts about working in a small library on, on East end, you know, when there's a, town of like, what is it? 3000 people. It's not much. Um, so you see a lot of the same faces and you build relationships. Um, and then it really motivates you to kind of make changes based on what everybody's telling you. Cause you're so you build these relationships. They, they tell you what they want to see. Um, and you can be that advocate. So that's one of the most special things about working out there. Um, and I get to serve a community that I I've grown up in, you know, it's a very special thing to have. So, you know,
3: yeah, it's it's cheers, you know? Like yeah, it yes, yes. is. That's a good point. And um, I think one of the benefits of that is um, you know your patron's strengths and weaknesses, and you know a better idea of what they're what they're about and how to help them yeah and i think when they come in th- that makes it easier it makes it makes it easier for us to do our job because we're kind of bypassing a lot of the reference questions or a lot of the questions of like getting to know somebody i already know what karen or what yeah, you know david I mean, yeah. needs um and sometimes they'll surprise you obviously that uh, yeah. keeps the job fresh but also um, staff
2: too i mean there's yes. staff members i've i've When I first started my job, I remember like we were just, you know, we got to know each other. And then like down the line, I was like, wait a minute, I know you from somewhere else. And then I found out that she used to be a lunch monitor when I was in elementary school. And then someone else we just hired, she used to be my art teacher. Like, you know, so it's even gets to know your staff better because you've had relationships with them in some capacity because it's just a one horse town. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they feel for better or worse, they feel comfortable coming to you for what they need. Mm-hmm. So you get to yeah. really refine your services um, in a way that's much more unique to the uh, the smaller populations. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, being that I've only been out out east for about eight months, I'm still learning the nuances of small town mm-hmm. library life. But I have realized that uh, the intimacy that you can have with your population really is a as a benefit. Just yes. I I you worked for these massive districts where we had 40,000 patrons. And I would feel bad if I spent more than 10 minutes with them in a reference interview because there was a line of people. Now, if I spend 20, 30 minutes with them, it's okay. You know? Yeah. You, and you're building
3: relationships in local. Great. Area. And yeah. you
0: have the time to get to know them, They get to know you. Like you were saying, you can bypass a lot
1: of that reference interview.
3: Yeah. And
1: that's really important. And that's something I think in the bigger libraries, it's something that's lost where you build the rapport with the patron. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um you can make the argument being a big library like Sachem, you can build those same relationships, but you're not building it with most people that come in the building. You're building mm-hmm. it with maybe some of your users that are there all the time, mm-hmm. or um, for some reason you connect with them on a certain level. But it sounds like out on the East End, you connect with just about everybody who comes into your building. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah,
3: you and, know them when they when they walk in the door. You know them yeah. for the most part. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, especially during the summertime. But uh you know them, you know, and they ask about your family. Yeah. And they ask how, how your day, you know, and, and and they're valid questions. They're not just um Small talk. Yeah, it's not nice cities. Yeah. You know.
2: But too, when some, when one of them, for lack of a better word, disappears, and you, you know that one yes. person hasn't come in for a long time, it's amazing to see what the staff and the community does when that happens. Like we had a patron that kind of would you know just came in every day, and all of a sudden they just stopped, and we got concerned. So my staff like put together like a card and like a ba- you know when they go and they drop it off because they know where the person lives, and they find out what happened. So it's amazing to see how a community comes together like that too yeah. when one of our patrons you know. That happened, a lot. happened.
3: That happened yeah. a lot after the quarantine. Mm-hmm. A lot of patrons took a long time to come back because uh, we do have like an older, um, older demographic, especially during the off season. Uh, and you would you would start worrying about them because I hadn't seen so and So since 20, you know, 2019 or, you know, early 2020. Uh, and then when they come back in, it, it, it's almost like seeing a friend or or, or a family member that you haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I never I hadn't experienced that at previous libraries that I'd worked at.
0: Right, because even if you were able to form a bond with someone at a larger district, there's always this idea that, uh, well, it's more things to do, more distractions. There's more almost like competition for the patrons' time. So you might see them only maybe once every month or once every six weeks. But out out in the East End, the same people come in every day, every day, or two, three times a week. You get to know their children, their grandchildren. Uh, You get to really see how you're helping them meet their goals, which is. Yeah. Which is probably the coolest part because you get to really see that you're increasing like their quality of life. And there's a bit of career satisfaction with that.
3: That's a good point. That's another good benefit that you get yeah. you actually get to see what they retained, the information that you gave them that they they yeah. held on to. You get to see that. Yeah. And then on the other end, you get to get frustrated. You're like, I taught you this last week. You know this. This is the time. Um but yeah, that's a valid point. I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm talking about tech. You know, there's always a consideration for both the economics of the tech, the staff and their ability to learn the tech, and the engagement with the public with the tech. So when it comes to being a technology-minded librarian, outcast, as it were, because we were just talking about this earlier, sometimes we're seen as, you know, I own a misfit toys. um, What are the challenges both in terms of acquisitions and staff involvement in using tech?
3: I think um, <laughs> I we have um, – speaking for myself here, um, we have a very odd conundrum where it's um, – a, a lot of libraries kind of suffer with a lot of patronage but not a lot of budget. Mm. Um, I actually have a pretty decent budget. It's difficult for me to get the patronage in, and I know I'm, I'm like pitchforks and, and – you know fire is probably coming out for me saying it but I, I have a I have a healthy budget and I get to use it, and that's fantastic but it's um we have an older demographic here if it 's not the summertime in the summertime I can get young adults in, I can get adults in I can get teens, children, anything um during the off season it does tend to be a lot of a more uh older type of uh demographic and and um because of that they're not always interested in, in the tech aspect, the things that I want to show off and the things I want to scream from uh, the rooftops. They're not into it. They just want to know what the password is to their email, you know? So like right. that, that, that
1: can be, um, it's back to basics.
3: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot back to basics and that's a cycle too. And then they get past basics, but then, uh, a, a, another generation comes and they, and again, they come in every day and, um, it's back to basics again after that. Yeah. So, um, that can be frustrating at times, I think. I don't know if I'm alone in that. No,
2: no, I think each library out on on East End has their their conundrum. Like, I'm also very lucky to have the budgets that I do, um, but it's also – the schools out by me do a lot. Like they, sure. they do so many amazing things that when the kids come in, and tell me that like they already know how to use TinkerCAD and they're whipping yes. up something. And I had a program basically teaching them. I don't realize that they they have access to a lot more than I think. Um, so it's it's geographical, but also competing with what's out there because I think when the kids come out to us for the summer, especially when our population doubles for that time period, the kids don't want to be in another school setting. Like there's, we are live right by the water. They want to go sailing. They want to go swimming. They want to go do things with their friends outdoors. Um, so it's, it's hard to plan those types of things and keep the technology in house and continue with it. Like I have the 3d printer. It was a hit for a bit and then it died off. And then, you know, keeping all of that current and going and, um, the interest is it's hard to keep their interest, but also space, our space, we have not a lot of property. Our building is very small and also we don't have a lot of rooms. So, even keeping things on wheels, I have no free closet space to even put anything on a cart, um, which is which is frustrating. We have a classroom that we're trying to t- convert into um, somewhat of a maker space, but I have English as a second language classes in there, so I can't take that away from them. Um, so it's it's a battle um not enough space trying to keep the interest like do i buy that couple grand you know piece of technology i have the budget but will the interest be there 6 months down the line um because once summer ends and they're kind of off the young people are off i'm i'm with the people that just need one time help you know like their passwords so it's it's a battle it's there's a bunch of different issues molded into one um but it yeah, it's 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 different battles for each for each instance. I and would say it's
3: a fine line yeah. that you learn eventually, and then the line shifts. Yes, and then yes, you have to yes. It again.
2: I think it's because you know it's this problem, and then I think I can fix that, and then I do, and then I'm like, wait a minute, it's not bad. So, yeah, it's it's relearning and recoming up with solutions every couple.
0: I yeah so only to add to that uh what i've noticed is that there are you know you always have your population of people who are interested in what you have to offer in terms of like maker tech so like your 3d printers and things to that effect um and then that does ebb and flow you know yeah. like in your district my population doubles during the tourist times so basically from like may to it's early september yeah um and that's when we are like very popular people want to see what we can do you know we have uh a lot of resources available but then what i've realized is that like you said the kids there they want to hang out outside and be with their friends and stuff so the portability of the collection kind of lends to a lot of things like the library of things that i just built um is very tech forward so they're always checking stuff out that um just helps them hang out with their friends like we have these capsule uh, projectors that are never on the shelf because the kids are always like, well, "I'm watching a movie outside with my buddies on a
2: yeah.
0: on a bed sheet," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, and also too, with touching on that staff involvement portion, I think that's a big part of the reason why I can't accelerate like the rest, you know, because I have staff. I'm a department of one, um, so. I have staff that are as I was saying before the be, I think the youngest above me is almost 40 and then it reaches up to an older age. So if I wanted to start something I can't do it alone. It's mm-hmm. it's a team effort and I don't know and I kind of gotten the feeling that it would be a me thing unless I had someone else that was hired that was more, you know, technically inclined. So, you know, it's it's hard to buy things for program use or just in general service, um, where I'm gonna be the only one using it. Because if I know that's gonna happen, then I kind of steer clear of it because I'm like, I need the help with this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that also is a factor. It's it's hard to get everybody on board because one, resistance to change and two, technophobia, like we talk about all the time. I don't think they were confident enough. So um, it's, yeah, there's a lot of issues with that. Right.
0: There's like no, very little buy-in for them unless there's uh, an initial interest without you intervening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Absolutely.
1: So libraries up island seem to be closer to each other, anywhere, whereas, you know, the East End libraries aren't. So although the population isn't as large as the Western Suffolk libraries. It seems, and things seem more spread out because of the nature of the area and being a lot more rural, as we talked about before. How does this pose a challenge with collaborating between libraries? Because I know up Island we collaborate all the time. Because I'm only what two miles, three miles from Middle Country. I'm only about five miles from Connect Quat. Sure. So you know, I'm you know pretty close to you know we're all pretty concentrated as opposed to out here where you know your library. The one further east is what Greenport, right?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Southold was about fifteen minutes from us, and then you know Greenport all the way out at the end. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's about a twenty-five minute hike. It
3: so. was lonely for. I, I've been out here for a long time working, and it's been lonely for a long time. Um, actually, the Lily coming along with uh, she started a Google chat, like a Google forum amongst East End tech librarians and that actually started kind of bridging the gap and eventually kind of led it to what the East end tech coalition would be. Um, Cause for a long time it was super, it was super lonely.
2: Well, yeah, I remember being like, you know, I have this problem Am I like the only one having this issue, like, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's a very centralized, I think we have a very centralized set of problems that we share amongst us yes. that you, you wouldn't normally have at a, a library up Island. Um, so when I had these issues, I just remember like, thinking to myself there's got to be people out there like you know so i yelled across the the island like hello yeah. is anybody over there um but you know it's it's interesting to collaborate with others at different libraries because um not everybody has the same tech so it's a matter yes. of transporting um you know or there is a resistance you know it's unfortunate um i don't think also, too, I will mention this. I don't know if you guys share this problem. A lot of turnover in East End libraries. Yes. Um, you know, Absolutely. like you see... I think people use East End Libraries as a starting point for their career. And then they leap off. And then they're out somewhere else. It could be Up Island, another state. So, for example, I could have somebody being a technology librarian in Mattituck, and then all of a sudden that person's gone. And I'm like, wait a minute, weren't you just there a week ago? And then, you know, Southall was the same thing. The week before I started that group, there was someone named Matt there, I think, and then all of a sudden gone. And so – you know, it's some libraries out there don't even have tech people, so it's yeah. like there is no no way to collaborate. Um, you know, so it's it's very difficult um, in in that regard. Either having a person to be the point person, or even you know, getting the tech there back, because everything's so far away from each other.
3: And cats and is a phenomenal resource. Yes, but we we were starting to realize that some of the problems that we had didn't necessarily translate well to the more up island libraries as well. So yeah. Um, Lily, Lily kind of starting that communication amongst all of us was
1: paramount. And and that was the thing with the technology forum that we have, that we had lost after the pandemic. Before the pandemic, we had East Hampton, we had Bridgehampton, uh, the Hampton Library. Uh, we had a couple of libraries on the, on, the, on the North Fork, but those people retired. And after the pandemic, we didn't hear from anybody east yeah. of the William Floyd Parkway. Sure. So, yes. yeah. right. And then when you had reached out to me, I'm like, oh, my God, thank goodness. <laughs>
2: yeah, Because we,
1: lost, we lost, literally lost five of the ten towns in, mm. in the county. Yeah, So it just made sense. Like, well, you got to join this stuff. Like, thank God there's somebody out there that wants to talk. And can we mobilize and, and get everything together? Yeah. But, again, the questions that were being asked were kind of getting crickets from the West End libraries. Mm. So it just made sense for the East End Tech Coalition to, to, to come, up, come about. Because again, your funding is different. Your populations are different. Your size is different. Your space is different. Everything is different from what it is up Island. Yeah, Yeah.
0: and you know, like I mentioned earlier,
1: I'm out of the three of us, I'm the
0: newest person who's uh, an implant from the from Western or Up Island, and uh, um, there were things I just didn't know. Like I knew our populations kind of you know, inhaled and exhaled throughout the year. But uh, I had no clue how to handle that. And to Stephen Lillis' credit, they're the reason why I survived this past summer, because I was asking them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah,
2: um, yeah, it's quite the interesting event. Like once uh, school closes, it's like they're coming. You see them running from here. <laughs>
1: like,
2: here we come. It's like, a
1: herd <laughs> of BMWs <laughs> and, yeah. and yes. Mercedes yes. and Audis and yes. Range Rovers. Absolutely. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. Or I had a Rolls Royce pull up not too long ago, right before the Summer ended. I'm like, where are y'all? Co- what are you doing for a <laughs> living? <flip? laughs> yeah,
0: there was a particularly nice uh, Bentley that I saw recently. Yeah, like, yeah what? what, what times, am I doing wrong? Like, what did <laughs> I do wrong? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but even like you know, collaborating with with Western libraries, it's it's good to do, even if you can't do it with the ones around you in in terms of. Um, geographically, like if I don't collaborate, using this as an example, with Southhold, you know, at all, even if I can collaborate with someone past Riverhead, it gives me the chance to see what everyone's doing. And then Mm -hmm. I can bring it back and I can try to make it work so that I can give everybody an example of what can be done, you know, and hopefully that sparks some interest. And if not, then I just do it on my own, you know, come to terms with that. (laughs) It keeps keeps your finger on the pulse.
1: Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's part of the idea of everything that we all share ideas. So if I'm doing a program at Seachem and you take that same program and bring it out to you in Kachog, Yep, It could be the same topic, but you design it completely different because you yeah. have to tailor it to your community. And that's not an up-island-east-end thing either. Yeah, I could go to Middle Country and give them that program, yes. and they will do it completely different because every population does things differently. Like my wife's library, connectquat, we're doing the same thing. And in some respects, the same people are going over there and teaching. And it's different because the population is different yeah. based upon the center of whatever that community is. Yeah. so as much as it is a population thing and a funding thing and all that other stuff, I do think part of it is just understanding what your community needs. So yes, all those other things are really important about size and budget. But if you were to level a playing field where everybody had exactly the same budget and the same, you know, the same tech and all that stuff, it would still be different Mm -hmm. because of the communities that you're, you're working with. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Yes.
0: And to add to what Chris is saying, you know, like um, you're, a lot of us do our own programming, especially in the tech librarian sphere, like we are um always teaching our own class you know so um what I've realized i had a i had a little bit of a background in academia before I became a librarian, and um with my students, each student or each block of students was Uh, We had to have a different approach to try to get them to understand and retain and uh, even use the information I was trying to give them. And now that's still true, you know, except now instead of different uh, working with, um, you know, students who are relatively the same age and maybe a different socioeconomic background, you're getting people of different ages and different socioeconomic backgrounds with varying challenges. And it's almost like uh, an enhanced version of trying to teach a classroom, you know, Um, or maybe even I don't know if, if enhanced is the right word, but. Uh, this is something that Lily, Steve, and I talk about often about the, the teaching methods and trials and tribulations of it, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you both have teaching experience where I do not. So <laughs> having to teach a classroom of people, it, it's it's interesting when you have absolutely no background in it. But now you <laughs> probably
3: feel natural yes. when you're doing yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. At first, I remember almost blacking out. <laughs> <in my> <laughs> <first> <laughs> one. Because I'm sitting here going, I can do this in two seconds, but these people need a whole hour worth of a lesson. How am I yeah. going to do this? Uh, but now, yeah, it's second nature. But, yeah. yeah, And you,
3: you make know. adjustments as you go yeah, along. Absolutely.
2: And, and
0: and because, of, you're, like you said, you're a department of one, Like you get to know the people you're teaching pretty well, and you can sort of like...
2: Yeah, you got re- that right.
1: So I think this is a great segue into kind of like something we've already been talking about, you know, the Suffolk County Library Association, which we call SCLA, and Computers and Technical Services Division of SCLA, which we call CATS, which, which you brought up before, Steve, and how CATS and... The Technology Information Forum, or TIF Group. So talking about all these different groups, right, it gives rise to the East End Tech Committee, which is also a division of CATS. So why don't you tell us about what the East End Tech Committee is, how it arose, and and what you guys do every month and collaborating in between.
2: Okay. <laughs> I will uh, tell the tale of the origin story. Um, I remember... I think it came up in some sort of passing with somebody I was speaking to. And I was really frustrated about issues I was having at my library um, tech-wise. Just everyday questions like figuring something out or trying to get something going. And someone said, reach out to Chris from Sachem to become a part of Cats and TIFF. And I was like, oh, this is great. Um, you know, I, I enjoy being in that group. It's a wonder, it's plethora of information, but I noticed that a lot of the issues that you guys would have or I would put out there, the answers to those issues were not something I could feasibly do. Um, because I am in a completely different environment with different, you know, budgets different, staff restraints, blah, blah, blah. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own group. Um, and I'm going to just do it for East end. And at first I was really thinking like the two forks, like that was just my goal. Um, because I think we all shared a lot of the same issues because, you know, You know, this fork is different than the North, but we share a lot of the similarities in terms of population, demographic, um, and so on. So I started that group. I had Steve, I think Dave from West Hampton, um, and maybe someone from Greenport. It was a couple of us, um, and it was mainly just a forum to put questions out there, um, you know, and have a source of uh, people who just shared the same things going on and answering questions. And a lot of things we bounced back, we were like, okay, this is something we could actually do. Um, It makes sense. Um, but I remember having someone ask me, what is the difference between this and TIFF and CATS? Like, what is the point of this? And I said, well, you know, it's really because we we don't share the exact same things that the other libraries do out on the west side of the island. It's it's a lot different. Um, and how can we solve our own problems if the answers were being given is not something we can do. Um, we're just going to be stuck in this stagnant circle of doing the same thing and, and not being able to move forward. A lot of frustration. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of frustration. And then you get burnout because you're... you're Sitting there, going, okay, I can't find an answer to this question. I can't find a solution. No one's out there to help me, so I'm just going to give up and not do it. And I didn't want to have that happen. I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in innovation, and I, I, there was a lot of things going on in my library that needed to change. Um, so luckily, with the formation of this group, um, you know, it's it gave. Gave rise to what we experience out in the stand in front of library staff and and tech staff, and you know it's it's also a great place to visit <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: because we are all like, oh my gosh, you know, like this, this happened today, and, and we've all had some similar instance or another. So that that's how it came came to be. Um, but now every month we just meet and we we go over stuff that's pertinent. <laughs> yeah.
3: We, so. keep, we keep up on what each other's doing, uh, kind of yes. the trends at the moment, what's working, what's not working. Uh, and, and again, it's easy for us to kind of reach out to anyone who's, who's more west of us, but it's different. You know, the situations are different. So it's nice to have that, that network mm-hmm. of, of specifically East End librarians who, who, know, uh, who, who know how to, to, to like attack something, yeah. how to fix it. Yep. Right. Yeah. And then
0: to sort of like, what I'm what I'm now learning is that a lot of like Eastern librarians kind of just communicate with each other, and then uh, bilingual librarians communicate with each other. So the EETC, by way of CATS and SCLA, kind of like bridges the two, yes, which brings in new ideas for both factions, yes. and it definitely adds um, definitely a learning curve for some of our our colleagues, but also uh, opportunities to approach things differently, which is great.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I think it also, in in a way, kind of gives us credibility as well, too. You know, I think East End librarians can be easily forgotten about at times amongst the uh,
2: absolutely the the hustle
3: and bustle of uh, of library land. Um, So I think that uh, it kind of, you know helps give us a seat at the table as well. Yeah, you know, absolutely.
2: Nice. gives absolutely. us a voice of, we, you know, like we, and also too, I was jealous because everybody in the libraries out by me, like the youth services has their own group. They get yes. together. Yeah. And I'm like, why do I have my own reference? <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. yeah. don't or? know each other. I'm like, yes, exactly. I, uh, I, that was me as a child, stubborn. And I just did my own thing. <laughs> so. But every month we kind of – I think we kind of come up with topics too, kind of what you guys do, but how can we do it? That's a lot of what we yes. talk about in our meetings. Like AI was recent. We kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, and then we were going to talk about Nick Tanzi coming and doing something for us. Like how can we do that in an East End library? Because it's it's going to be completely different than yes. how a Western Island library would do it. Yeah, so.
3: and even Chris, Chris was nice enough to sit in on one of our meetings yes. and do a um, – a presentation on faces. yeah, and even that is uh, the relatively different for the librarians who were who were witnessing that, or watching that presentation from here as what you might get, you know, more in the St. area.
1: But you have to think in terms too. Like when I was just doing that presentation, I'm putting myself in your shoes, in yeah. your shoes, in your mm-hmm. shoes. And you're wonderfully
3: sis. small. Yeah, you think small.
1: Thank you, thank you. Okay. Um, but you got to think small and no money. Yes. Yeah. And. Honestly, when I started, I was thinking small and no money. <laughs> yeah. So, because you have to think that, right? And if you do get some money along the way, wow, now I can get that, that you know, that pie in the sky piece of equipment, mm-hmm. but you just don't get it because you want to get it. Like you were saying, yeah. how is this going to work for my community? That's, mm-hmm. that's the most and important part. Even yeah. if the patrons don't know it, you know that you can do something and pull a rabbit out of your hat and say, okay, you're going to get this laser engraver because you're going to make signage for the building. Yeah. And then people will say, Where did that sign come from? Well, we made it. You made it. How do you make it? And then next thing you know, you have that interaction. And now you're kind of drawing them into that jello mold, as it were. So now you're making, you know, jello molds for people. You know what I mean? Like not making them jello mold, but like, you know, you're pulling them in. Yes. And now they are starting to think the way you think. Yeah. Mm. And then you almost create, for lack of a better way to describe it, like a cult of personality where people are going to start thinking like you're thinking and creating the way you're creating. And then you put your samples out there and it attracts more people and it becomes a cycle. Yeah. So you have to think outside the box. You have to think about what, what the community, not what they want to do, but what they could possibly do. Yeah. Like just in terms of the room that we're in, this historic room. What happens if you wanted to make something that was as historical looking for this room without it being something that's valuable? So maybe you go to the dollar store and buy a picture frame and you learn, you take a torch and you make it look old by, by weathering it. And then you engrave on the bottom and you put a plate on the bottom. So maybe you have something in storage that was historical, like a portrait of somebody who lived in this house. And now you make something that looks like it. And now you have the template and you can make multiples of that. So that's something you can use in your library or making, like we talked about before, making the labels for your end caps. Yeah. Or making signs like women's bathroom, men's bathroom, uh, three 300s to 600s upstairs, you know simple things like that and that's where you get the buy-in from administration so i think that model works in the east end because you have the buy-in to now be able to create these things in-house without you having to go up island to have labels made or have signs made and now there's that extra expense of having to deal with somebody in Ronkonkoma or Melville or even out in Nassau County uh you can offset some of those costs by creating in Inside and when I was putting that presentation together for you, that's that's the thought process. Mm-hmm. Your sale to your administration is that it's in-house yeah. work versus having to go outside and, and pay a contractor more, and maybe having to go out to bid or all that that ugh, that comes with mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. So and when it comes to your End Tech co- Coalition, it's the same idea. How do we make it work in Southampton? How do we make it work in Cotchogue? How do we make it work in Sag? How do we make it work in Montauk, which is a different whole animal? Or Amagansett, where they're really out there. Yes, you yeah. know, or Greenport, as it were, because Greenport has such a, a globally yeah. point. It's 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 just it's it's hard to serve that many communities along the main road, where each one of those communities are different, but they're all squashed into Greenport and in the package of Greenport. Yeah. So how do you do that? Kootzog, New Suffolk, New Suffolk is a separate section than Kootzog is, mm-hmm. and they have different needs. Yeah. So how do you put that all together and how do you do it as an island? And an island, I mean, your library alone. You were mm-hmm. an island of one person and then finally <laughs> you guys got together and now you're pulling in from West Hampton and, and Bridge Hampton and I'm surprised Matok wasn't on today. Oh, you know, yeah, Brit. Isn't Brit wasn't there, there today. Uh-huh. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it gives the voice and the mindset of the East End as yeah. opposed to what, you know, the monolith of from and Middle Country does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I'm glad that you started it because it was sorely of needed mm-hmm. over here.
2: Yeah, it's we definitely felt like the island missed for toys. I think for sure because you you get to see what's going on on the other side and you're like, but there's no one to talk to about it. it happen. You know, right? Um. So yeah, it's it has been a wonderful experience, you know, and yeah. it's nice to have some recognition too. I think you know, like Maybe. you said, it gives a seat at the table. So,
1: yeah. Yep. So honestly, I think this is an exciting time to be a librarian out east. Um, as a whole, library employees in Suffolk County are younger than they've ever been, and there's good change happening in the profession. Now, I know we still have a lot of older librarians around. There, there was nothing wrong with, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it all. But sometimes fresh ideas and fresh people bring in fresh ideas, just like a new inlet opening up in the Great South Bay, right? Bringing in that fresh water. So we all need experienced librarians, which is a good thing, you know, for stewardship of you know maintaining what we do in the profession. But having the new fresh ideas and being able to connect with younger patrons and retain the 20-somethings is starting to take shape with our populations. Tell us about how your libraries can connect with, to teens and 20-somethings using the technology and other strategies. Now, I know this is segmented between the summer people and the year-rounders, but tell us how generally how you, how you use the technology to do that. You know
3: what's funny is when I started the makerspace that we have, the tech lab, um, I thought we have a lot of entrepreneurs out here and new business people. I like, figured that they would be coming in and we'd be making prototypes that we would be doing. Um, and that hasn't, it's happened a little bit, but it hasn't happened to the degree I, I'd expected more than anything. It's been teenagers that are using makerspace yeah. and, and it's been uh, young adults, but they're not, they're not making a prototype like I kind of hoped, but they're still making very cool things. I mean, technology is whether we want to admit it or not, the wave of the future for libraries. And um, I think that us kind of riding that wave has, um, I, don't know, I feel like it kind of helps solidify that in a way, and I think the patrons know that, and I think that they're accessing it, and that's been that's been fantastic to watch. My older demographic does not utilize it as much as I hope they would, but I just haven't found that niche yet. That would and wouldn't sometimes know. it takes one program. Yes, exactly. I'm still looking for it, but uh, we'll find it, and I know we will because we you know we have to. It's technology.
0: It's also kind of when you think about what Up Island or Western Suffolk districts have available to them it's more than just resources it's also like prominent uh cultural or community institutions like uh there we don't have many colleges out here and the colleges that we do have are smaller branches of much larger colleges so like my island, you have stony Brook university which encompasses pretty much like a, a huge college town you know um you go through anywhere on the North shore and you see something that says like you're in Seawolf country or something to that effect, you know, and then you have Suffolk community college where they have a riverhead campus, but without that um, there's one in Selden. And then there's one in Brentwood. So the student body is kind of centralized in, in a more up Island sort of way. Right. So even though we surely do have Sonybrook and Suffolk students in our districts, when would they have the time to sort of utilize what we can offer? Because we're nowhere near them for the a meaningful part of their day, you know. Yeah. Um, so what Steve was saying is, when he gets these teenagers coming in, it's great because they're learning before they leave. Yes. to go to school or to go to work. That uh, there's this is there for them, so they can continuously imagine or I guess reimagine how to use the space. Yeah, right? and then
3: hopefully that creates lifelong patrons. You know, they come here when they're younger. Hopefully, they'll keep coming when they're older too yeah so it's more that they're, they're uh, familiar with the services
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's a unique challenge for sure because when you're nowhere near a school where there's a the concentration of older teens and new adults uh you how do you get them to take time out of their already very busy days right so
2: That is actually a population we're missing completely. Um, I rarely ever get a kid that is above the age of 14 or 15 years old, ever, Um, which is sad because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that – that's sad. I should say I'm happy for them because the schools really do keep them busy. We're very lucky that we have the high school that has amazing after-school programs and sports, um, and also they have another library right down the street. When I was in high school, you could walk right down there. There's a pizza place next door. I mean, like, you know, why would you come all the way out to Cutshaw? It's a drive away. So we are missing that population, um, you know, year-round after the summer. Um, summer, you do see them come in more often. Um, but the biggest way that I look for trends with them, then that population in particular, is what is going on in terms of what their interests are. And we've seen a huge shift, at least I have, with making things with your hands. And I don't know if that's from the pandemic and being home, um, but a lot of people are going back to like almost like Homestead crafting, like knitting, crocheting, making their own clothes, upcycling. Um, so that's one thing I kind of look out for is what's what's trending. I'm also on TikTok, which is addictive. So I kind of see what's going on there. Same. Um, but for the younger ones, I think it's kind of like you got to keep yourself on your toes constantly with them. They are always they're so technologically advanced, like it, it's insane. Um, I I so I try to really keep my eyes on what's new and fresh and how I can incorporate it into programs. But the older adults, it's a hard one for me. They are the, the programs where you sit and teach them. They're not into it. They want to just one time, one time shot. I need my password. I need to get into this account and that's it.
3: They, or, or they want you to do it for them. Yes. Or they or want they me mean.
2: to do it for them, yeah. which I mean, Hey, I, I've got enough going on. I mean, I'd love to help you, but <laughs> I, I, I like, I can't do this all for you.
3: <laughs> so, again.
2: Yeah, again, exactly. Like, you just did this last week. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's a battle for each age group. It is. So,
3: and learn a curve. don't learn a curve, I I learn learn. A curve. yeah. yeah. You,
2: may, you learn from your mistakes, that's for sure. It has programs Absolutely. and stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: So in wrapping up this segment, I want to talk about the benefits of the EETC. We've seen the difference it's made just in communicating with other tech-minded colleagues all over the distances that you may or not, you know, that doesn't seem like that far away as the crow flies, but there are natural bar- barriers like Peconic Bay. Lily at Kutchog on a North Fork may only be 15 miles from Anthony at Jermaine, but has to either cross two ferries <laughs> or drive all the way to Riverhead to traverse to the South Fork. So tell us, <laughs> that's so funny to think about you have to take two ferries. <laughs> so tell us, first of all, how you communicate, how you do your monthly meetings and how you collaborate using the EETC to facilitate the process. I know it's a bit of redundancy from what we talked about before, but I think it's really important to, for people who aren't from here to understand that there are two basically peninsulas on an island that yeah. you could be If there was a bridge, it would be 10 minutes to get to Anthony, but because there's no bridge and you have to take two ferries and drive through Shelter Island, plus pay the fee for the ferries if they're running in the wintertime because of ice and all that other stuff.
2: Um, so at first, I think it was mostly just email, right? Yeah, right. Um, and then it traveled on to, um, oh God, Google Chats right Yes. now? Yeah. Uh, where it's basic, I think it's daily at this point talking. Uh, yes. We just keep a constant flow of kind of what the next meeting is, new ideas for guest speakers, which is a recent um, conversation we've been having. Um, and monthly meetings, I think... I feel like we kind of pick what's been talked about mostly like in the, in the group um, and make the agenda based off that. um, So we can kind of touch upon topics that people have been talking about. Um, But mostly it's virtual. That's really how we collaborate um, because I have to cross, you know, a body of water to get to one of you. So, Um, but we do try to meet in person like this every other month, I think. So as frequently as we can. Yeah.
0: And the, uh, we do work, just by like a you know like a lightning in the bottle kind of situation, we're very lucky that all of us work really well together. Yes. So yeah. um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like we are working on a project that we're presenting at Nyla, um, and it has been very time consuming but some of the most fun i've had
3: yeah like yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: so yeah definitely sure. uh, really cool
3: and again that just adds to the network that that was created out here as i now have these two colleagues that i can go to with anything mm-hmm. and i trust their opinion and 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 their advice implicitly and that's nice because for a long time that wasn't out here right so it's nice to have that kind of like that that safety
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. and also it's just nice to have people to sort of complain to you yes. yeah, because yeah. we all share the same yeah.
2: problems if you, <laughs>
0: if you were to look at like a cliff notes of the of this very long sort of stream of consciousness g chat that we're all in <laughs> it's <laughs> a mixture of like very good ideas complaints cursing back to very good ideas yeah, right? yeah. you know,
2: <laughs> you know and we also yeah. have like i think co- have some themes like one was you had a recent problem with your computer management software which i like told you yes. like this could be the problem and then we had like a human feces thing going on. Everybody was taking a crap in the stats. Like it was like, it's I I don't East End feces. Coalition. Yeah, seriously. Like, like,
3: <laughs> like, like, East End so, feces bandit.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like you share not only the technical things, but it's like you share the same sort of patronage issues, yeah, like. Yeah. So it's you know it's it's nice to have that camaraderie. Um, but also what I was thinking as you were talking that network. It's coming from someone that's a newbie and lived out on the East End my entire life. Um, I don't know many people past Riverhead. So, you know, when I have an issue or I need some more information, these two have been in the business for more longer than I have. So it's like you have more of a network, you know, spread. I can find out about more people I can turn to if there's something niche that I need help with. So, yeah, it's like the network grows for me at least too. So
0: That's a really good point because, uh, you know, Chris, before we all met, Chris was the common person, the person we had in common with each other, right? So, uh, again, if you go back to the texting friends that we have, like if you – if you uh, look at the conversation I have with Chris, it's me complaining or me asking for help. And so it, it's about the network because, like, oftentimes when I'm asking for help and not complaining, Chris is like, "Reach out to this guy. He knows exactly what what you're yeah, talking about." Yeah, and now we can. If I have a, a problem with my pursa, instead of me bothering Chris, I can bother
1: Lily. You yeah. know, yeah. bother me anytime. Them. Yes, or
2: like you know, local businesses too. You know, we share the same IT company, which we yes. only you know there's only one really out here. Uh, but if I ever had to learn or kind of hire someone else, I could f- ask one of you two about information about that from another area. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're growing your network in many different regards. Um, but, you know, half the time I don't know who I you guys are talking about because, like, I'm so surprised. But, you know, you learn more about people every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
1: that was the point of this, too. Like, yeah. how many years have I been saying, where's the East End Libraries? We need to pull them in. We need them to be part of the conversation because if – it's almost like reaching out to another planet, right? To yeah, see if yeah. like, like, we just landed on Mars and we're trying to find out yes. if there's life there, you know? I
2: mean, you know a lot of the re- Recently, I found out that a lot of directors at the libraries out by me are doing the tech. My director was. She was the director and the tech librarian. And then Mattituck, that's what it was for a while. So it's like they, they don't have their own tech people. And the directors are so busy, you know? So, But now we're seeing more people come out of the woodwork and they are like, I'm the tech person at this library. And we're like, oh my God, you actually are a tech person at an Eastern library. It's amazing. Right. Um so it's they're they're sort of popping up more and more now so yeah.
0: And since we kind of, through the EETC, can speak as a collective, like you both said earlier, it adds a little bit of validity to the work we do. Yes. You
2: know? And I think directors, now that they heard, we formed the EETC, like officially, and I next day my director was like, so I heard you got a group going. I'm yeah, like, wait, same, what? Same. I guess yeah. you tell library
1: you. land is a small Seriously? place. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm
2: wondering, too, if that influence will hopefully get other library or the directors of other libraries out on the east end to say, you know, we need to add more oomph to our tech department or make sure we have a person or, you know, get that person involved. It yes. should, should be, you know, so important. it should be a simple priority. It would help what they're doing so much. I think, you know, I can't say who I'm speaking about, but you know, <laughs> it would help. <laughs> but I
1: think too, you know, it, they're really with the exception of budget and size, there's not much different. And this is whether you're East End, whether you're in Sydney, Australia, whether you're in Spain, whether you're in Canada, doesn't matter. We're all doing the same thing. The most, yeah. We all have the same products. Yeah. We all have the same struggles. I'm sure that if we had Rob Thompson from down in Australia on, he would say absolutely the same things are happening here. Sure, yeah. You know, maybe maybe they have the same feces problem. Oh, I don't know. It could be the same guy. <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's jumping on Qantas and going down there. Yeah. So why not share what we know? Because yes, for you guys, it's in terms of the smaller library being out here, out on the East End. But honestly, a lot of the things that when we had our first meeting, when you came to see me. It, there was a lot of head nodding, like, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. And yes. and you felt, like you're saying now, like, oh, my God, there's somebody I can talk to now mm-hmm. that, yeah. that gets it and understands. And you didn't have that out here. Well, it's time to get that out here.
2: Yeah. It is. It's like, and it's never a competition mindset. You know, I have, no. it's, it's never, I mean, I sit and look at all the things everybody has with, with awe and like amazement, because I just think it's so wonderful that, you know, libraries are able to do that because when I was a kid, and, I mean, I was young in the early two thousands, Riverhead library was just full of books and some big chunky desktop computers. Like now it has progressed into something so much more than that. And if I can do that where I am, you know, in a smaller capacity, I will take inspiration and it's never like, I got to beat them, you know, like yeah. it, it's ne- never should be that.
1: It's always a sharing of ideas yeah, and knowledge. So, it's never competition.
0: No. No. And like that, actually, only to echo what you were saying, there was a, a this is just a real story that happened recently. Um, there was a patron that came into my library and needed to do something involving one of my 3D printers. And we are in the process of doing a renovation. So I was like, this is a big job. We don't really have the time. So I called Steve and I was yeah. like, Steve, can I send them to you? Because I'm going to be shutting down my printers for a couple of weeks and I, you know, I can't process the job right now. And he was like, yeah, send them my way. And it was very quick, not even a mm-hmm. second thought, yeah. and everyone gets help. Yeah. You know? yep.
3: And that's the point. Yeah. It's the professional yeah.
1: courtesy thing. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah.
1: Like if, if you had reached out to me, I'd be like, yeah, sure, what do you need? Yeah. Right. Not a problem. Right? Mm-hmm. And then that's we have enough. the system bag to send them. So yeah. it's not, a, not an issue at all. So this has been amazing, right? So I'm so happy that we had this group of rock stars on the podcast because you guys are rock stars. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and even though... We've interviewed people from all over the world. Sometimes the hardest people to reach are those are in your own backyard, yeah. right? Um, so thank you for, for coming in and chatting about thank you. That's what's going happen. on yeah, here. This was fun. So, much. so when we come back, we're going to be asking our group our top 10 library questions, or what we like to call the 032 list, which is a doing number for top 10 lists. Even though it's one of those things where <laughs> sometimes you got to ask questions of people who are outside the library profession, we kind of brought it back because finally we have some people that are in the trenches with us. So, as always, we give thanks to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list of questions that we ask all our guests, and we'll be right back. stories okay we are back with lily keel anthony ginsante and stephen alcalde who will be our next participants in the 032 list so you guys ready yes. yes this is going to be like quick hits number one and we'll start with lily because she's the east ender oh god you're the one that that, that lived out here, yeah, here. what did you want to be when you were a child a doctor <laughs> doctor steve
3: uh, i wanted to be an author
1: yeah. lawyer lawyer okay First memory of a library. Who brought you to the library for the first time?
2: Um, my mom and I was too short to reach the books at the top of the stacks. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, it was my mom, and it was Sagem, and I got kicked out for being too loud. <laughs> <laughs> kind of shy. It still, kind of happens nowadays. To me. <laughs>
0: Uh, I used to live on the border of Nassau and Queens, and it was my dad. We would go to the library once a week to get video cassettes. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hopefully the people listening to this podcast remember video cassettes. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, this is a hard one. First, a favorite fictional librarian.
2: Oh God, um, I can't. There's the one in Arthur when they sing the library card song, <laughs> and then they get trapped <laughs> in the library that one episode. That's a good one. I can't remember her name though. It was my favorite show.
3: Um, Lucian from Neil Gaiman's Sandman. He had all of the books that have never been
2: published. That's a good answer. That's
0: pretty cool, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say Giles from Buffy or oh, yeah. the, uh, like, Octopus Squid Lady from Monsters University. She's good to do you, <it's>, Anthony. <laughs> you know,
1: I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Always Oh, it's
2: fantastic. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. What would you be doing if you weren't working as a librarian? Saving gas money.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Probably. Uh. Probably writing writing a book. I did go to school for writing, so definitely.
0: I'd like to think I'd be writing too.
2: Yeah.
1: I'd probably be a high school teacher.
3: Yeah. Or I'd still be teaching. Good call. Yeah.
1: yeah. What's your favorite section of the library? Now, this originally meant like fiction, nonfiction, but it could be anything. It could be the bathroom. It could be the mm. the apparently yeah. since you have the feces monster, yeah, between the East like End,
2: the land room where I can sit and hide. <laughs>
1: Land room, I like that. (laughs) Go
2: desk in there.
3: (laughs) I'd like to say that I I wish that libraries had like that occult section that horror movies have always taught me they have, but
1: Mm -hmm. we (laughs) don't have that. It depends if you're a genre library, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or if you're at Hogwarts, Um, but maybe I'm I'm a big nonfiction guy. I I I love nonfiction or graphic novels. Graphic Mm -hmm. novels are a big thing for me too.
0: Yeah, I'm currently uh, on a nonfiction kick, so I'm going to agree with you on that one, Steve. Yeah. Okay, so
1: what do you love about libraries?
2: I love that everything is free. <laughs> Pretty much everything. Like, you can walk in there and not have any expectation to pay for anything.
3: I like I like helping people on their, their journey. Um, I think that you can look at something negatively or positively. And the negative aspect, I think you can look at it that we're like NPCs. You know, like <laughs> that people come <from> to <laughs> us to, yes. to, um, to like fulfill the rest of their journey. But like, yeah. You know, I mean, mm. Lake never would have made it if he didn't have the man in the cave that gave him the sword. Oh, know? that so, is
0: good. That's good. Wow.
2: Now yeah. someone needs to create, like, a like a video game version of, like, each library. Like, we're all connected on a map. Oh, so my God. Tansy
1: calls our library the Death Star.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard him say that before. Yes. Say that before.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. I call his library Alderaan.
3: It's <laughs> <laughs> work out for one of them, so. <laughs>
1: Um, what was the question? <laughs> what do you love
0: about libraries? Uh, I think that we have like this implicit trust from the community. And I think that when you recognize that you have that trust, um, you can do a lot of good work for the people who come in and, uh, that's what I like the most. Okay. Here's my favorite question.
1: What's the weirdest thing, not worst thing. Cause there's plenty of worst things. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library career?
2: Oh, that's a good one.
1: I mean, Feces monster seems to be up there.
2: Yeah, and that one was. I mean, that was like, I'm not going to name names. It, it was a weird situation because I never experienced this. And no one prepares you for this. No. Like, there was an individual who was bringing back books with poop in them. Oof. That, that was the weirdest thing. Like, because how do you approach that? Like, you know, you feel bad because you're in a certain situation. But at the same time, I do not want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, mm-hmm. even in a hazmat suit. No, <laughs> absolutely not.
3: Um I was on reference one time and this is a long story that I'm going to condense um but I had this young couple come in I don't know if they were brother and sister or a couple but they were uh they needed information on an exorcism <laughs> and, like, <laughs> through through like reference questions and like finding it really funny at first and then realizing that it, that um they had an older woman in their house that was having like um uh like a um a medical episode and being like no wait 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 wait, okay i i'm gonna keep helping you find this exorcism stuff maybe you go call the police and just have an ambulance go to your house <laughs> mm-hmm. oh uh, my god this was wild yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. when the occult section would have come in handy <laughs>
0: well, absolutely yeah like uh, a reading of the rights or something <laughs> yeah yes. yes. like, uh,
2: check out the priest <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, i was like oh no somebody needs help okay no 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 <laughs> Uh, years ago, I worked as as a circulation clerk, and we were returning stuff from the uh, from the bin, the um, overnight book drop off bin. And in a plastic bag was these person's DVDs, a dirty diaper, Oof. and a bunch of pornographic
1: magazines. And uh, and you were most shocked that they were brought back on time. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I remember not knowing what to do because part of me was like shocked that there were these like X rated magazines, but then I was like. I still have to return these DVDs, yes. so, like, what do I do in this moment? Because in between the magazines and the uh, DVDs was this very dirty diaper. <laughs> you know, oh, <laughs> so. oh my oh, god!
2: Land. They need uh, to set up a class in your um, program, in the graduate program, where it's like Pook One Hundred One. Yes. What do you do <laughs> <What laughs> do like, yes, yes, you be with human feces? Yes, yes, you are. Okay,
1: another one of my favorite questions. Without mentioning names, who do you have as a favorite regular patron?
2: Oh, I do for sure. Yeah. I have a lady that I started doing tech appointments with from day one who has come to see me almost every Friday in the past three years. Yeah, she's my favorite. She's the sweetest lady. And she always finds what we talk about so valuable, even if it's putting the adapter in her head, like the bottom of the iPhone, the lightning cable goes for her headphones. It is a mind-blowing moment. And mm-hmm. I feel so happy that she leaves happy. So.
3: Uh, I have a patron that comes in every weekend. Uh, she actually works with the the, um, the Friends of the Library too, which is nice. She gets to come in a lot uh, and she's just fantastic. She brightens – the moment she comes around the corner, she brightens my day up. Oh,
0: that's great. Yeah, she's great. Um, I have three people, one el- elderly gentleman and a married couple and – the elderly guy, he's pretty cool. He tries to stay up with the tech trends, but he is not the best with remembering names. So he will, he will like, assign you a person in history that's familiar to your name. So he, call, he keeps calling me Mark Anthony because he did not remember Anthony. So in my mind, I am Cleopatra's lover. Yeah. In his mind, I mean, you know. Um, or that's like, a different question, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had a woman named Catherine, and he calls her Catherine the Great because that's how he remembers her name. That's and so devices go a long yeah. way. And then there's this married couple that comes in. They're both newly retired, and they are very funny to me because they bicker like an old married couple, but then they're simultaneously like each other's best friend. So I am always like, you guys are amazing. Visit me anytime. You've made me laugh. I've helped you with your devices. Enjoy your day. Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay, last question. Don't tell anybody, but there's 11 questions on our top 10 list. Um, <laughs> what are people without library cards missing out on?
2: Damn good time. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, they're missing out on the, uh, the keys to the kingdom.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: You know, I'm going to be a little more literal here. Ah. I'm a big fan of Libyan hoopla, and that's what you're. Ah, yes. You no, know,
2: I have a whole network guy. <laughs> no, it's, you are know, missing out on, first of all, the opportunity to access resources that could change your life. Like, I remember applying to college on a library computer because I didn't have a computer. Like, yeah. Yeah. it is yeah. access to things that will change your life, Absolutely. not just books. Um, and we've really evolved into community centers. I think we have so much more to offer than just books, um, even things you might not even need your library card for. For. I mean, you know, it's it's an amazing place to come together with your community. That's that's what you're missing. Community hubs. Yeah, community yeah, hub. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're community, community centers. Yeah. You know,
0: Absolutely. this is like one of the things Like patrons need to remember that if you've lost your card, we still want you to come back. If you have fines, we, we will likely work with you. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a card and you think you can get one, yeah. come in. Yeah. No matter what. Like, we want to see you, you know? Yeah. You've um,
2: evolved from the, like, old lady that, sh- you know, shushes you. It's like, yeah. it, it's so much more than that. And I think people still have that mindset. Yes. It's, mm, it's got right. to be a change. Definitely. Yeah. We're
0: no longer yeah. the squid lady from Monsters University. Yes, yes, like, yes. yes. Yeah. yes.
2: Exactly. Yeah. We're,
3: we're the, the old man in the cave that gives uh, Link the sword.
1: Exactly. Yes. exactly. You do. Mm-hmm. exactly. I love Absolutely. it. I love it. If we haven't had answers like this, this is insane.
2: <laughs> you guys really
1: are that sequestered, here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we we like so to trees. This. <laughs> <laughs> this is why We have had no one talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> we
3: have so much the same. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, well, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're going to have to do a part two. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachin Public Library, the M.S. Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.